Are you a forgetful person? Now, we maybe do a lot of things to help us try to remember things like having post-it notes all over the place, but we still probably forget things. Why is that? Well, psychologists will tell us there's a number of reasons why. Maybe we never encoded the message to begin with. In other words, we really didn't pay attention. Or maybe what we heard or were supposed to remember was from quite some time ago, and that memory now is just decayed or faded. Or maybe there's just been so much other stuff that has gotten in the way and has caused some interference, and that's why we forget. Or maybe we just didn't think it was important enough to remember, and that's why we forget. Would you forget what God tells you? What if it were a matter of life and death, yours or somebody else's? Would you forget that? Let me change up my question a little bit. Are you a, a sports fan? Do you have a particular team that you really like to follow and root for? And in fact, you're, you're very dedicated to them, and you're not afraid to show that you are a fan of whatever team it is. Maybe you have a shirt or a hat that displays that team, and you're proud to wear it. Maybe you've got a bumper sticker on your car, and you're not afraid to talk about your team, uh, even if they're having a bad year or several years. You're proud. Are you that way with your faith and with your Savior? Do you make it evident that you're not just a fan, but you're a committed follower of God? As we continue with our series of messages about at the crossroads, it's looking at those situations we find ourselves in where we have to ask a question, or we have to answer a question, I should say. And that is, what are we going to do? Or what are we going to say? When we find ourselves in a particular situation, will we remember to say something about our God? Let's go on that crossroad to Calvary and look at an event that involved Peter from Luke 22. Then when the soldiers seized Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed but at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. 
before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Then Peter remembered. After he had done what the Lord said he would do. I wonder if Peter, though, forgot these words that Jesus had spoken earlier. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Did, did Peter forget those words? Or what about the words that Peter himself declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. What happened? Peter was at a crossroads, and he had a decision to make. Would I deny knowing Jesus, or will I declare him? Well, as we look at Peter, we're also going to look at ourselves. And what will we do when we are at a crossroads? Will we deny Jesus? Now, there was probably some reasons why Peter denied, and maybe why we would deny. One of those might be just because of doubts. You know, when we're uncertain about things, it's, it's hard to try to explain it or defend it or speak about it because we just don't know. We have our own questions. When, when there's trouble going on in our life or in the world, it's, we can't figure out maybe why that is, so how can I explain this to somebody else? And maybe that's what Peter was thinking. I just don't get it. What is going on? Here is Jesus, and, and I saw him demonstrate his power over, over disease and over demons and over death. But now, he looks so powerless. Thomas, you know, on Easter Sunday, right? He doubted when he was told by all the other disciples, we've seen the Lord, he's alive. Uh, I don't think so. Not unless I see him and touch him. I'm not going to believe. And so sometimes, because of doubts, we're just not ready to declare something about Jesus. In fact, sometimes those doubts lead to disillusionment where we're confused, we're bothered, we're disappointed by what's going on. Okay, I, I hear all these promises of God in the Bible, but they don't seem to be happening for me. Why is it a loved one dies and, and dies early when they should be allowed to live a longer life? Or why is there trouble going on in my life? Why is things so messed up? That's not what God promised. So those doubts can bring about some disillusionment where we just don't quite believe what's going on. And so how can we promote it? How can we defend that? How can we say something to somebody else about it? Or maybe we're silent because we fear derision. We don't want to be ridiculed. I mean, look what happened to Jesus. Look how he was teased and, and taunted during this whole thing. Maybe Peter was fearful of that too. And in fact, 
that would happen to them just a couple of months later when the disciples filled with the Holy Spirit and are gifted to speak in other human languages are out there on Pentecost Sunday proclaiming to the public in all different languages the glories of God and people are laughing at them. Listen to those guys, they're drunk! And the message they had clearly proclaimed, people said, that is absolutely foolishness. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. They were laughed at. We live in a time when our message is laughed at too. When, when science laughs at the teaching of God creating the world in six days just by speaking his word. We're laughed at by society when we say these ways that you are living are not right. And they'll say, you know what, that's so old. Get with it and stop putting your rules on us. And they laugh at us. Maybe we're silent because we're fearful that that derision will become more serious and be something dangerous, that we will be attacked or persecuted or rights taken away. Peter saw what was happening to Jesus, and maybe he's thinking, boy, if, if I just say, yeah, I know him, I'll be guilty by association, and they'll arrest me too. And that would happen a few months later. All the disciples would be arrested and punished because of their association and proclamation of Jesus. That goes on in our world today. We hear about it in the news. We hear about Christians in other parts of the world who are suffering persecution because of their faith. Even some of our own missionaries have been pulled out of mission fields because of threats made against them. By the way, you can read about some of our uh, church body's mission activity in your bulletin every week. We give a little snapshot summary of, of things that are happening in different parts of the world. We even have people in this congregation who've experienced persecution because of their faith. So maybe because of that, maybe because of anything on that list, we become silent and don't want to say anything when we're at the crossroads. But what does that silence say? How is that understood? As weak people, a weak faith, something that maybe really isn't true because they don't defend it? I know that uh, some people in our congregation have been concerned that, you know, in the last few years we, we haven't necessarily grown, which is not true. You just saw last week a whole bunch of people we took into membership. But it, it's not like it was in years past when the place was packed and we had three services. What's happening? Well, what's happening here is what's happening everywhere in the Christian church. I had an email this week. It was entitled, Five Reasons Growth May Be Difficult in Your Church. And the guy went on to cite evidence from the Pew Research Foundation that tracks uh, the conditions in the Christian church. And here's what he said. Every year, another two million American adults become less receptive to the gospel and less receptive to the churches. Every year. And then he cited the evidence 
that the Pew Research Foundation has done. Since 2007 to 2014, they report that over 12 million American adults have moved from having a high level of religious commitment to having a low level of commitment. And what they point out is, is they kind of missed the whole middle area. They just went from being totally active and committed to not committed at all. And the comment or conclusion was, cultural Christianity is dying. But that they simply meant to say, to say you're a Christian, to be in a Christian church, it's not something we take for granted anymore. It just doesn't happen because that's the way it's always been. Now, he cited five reasons from his own research why he thought that was happening. Now, there's a point to all of this. First, he said, he thinks church members are not being intentionally relational with those who are not in church. That is, we're not looking to establish relationships with people outside of the church. And we just expect that the church will grow through its normal process of, well, people will just come. He said, many churches are stuck in the past. Now, he was real clear, and we would support this. He said, that doesn't mean we're going to change the message of the Bible. We're not. But he says, the way we conduct our ministry maybe isn't relating to the way people are living their lives or what they're looking for today. He said, church members are not regularly inviting people to church. He said, people on the outside would come to church if they were invited, but if they're not invited, they feel like, well, I can't just walk through the doors. I'm not a member there. Many church members fail to act like Christians on social media. Now, I wasn't quite sure exactly how that connected to church membership, but I think his point was this. Christians are not acting very Christian. And so when they say they're Christian and act in a way that's not, whether it's in social media or just in society, it kind of paints a false picture of your faith. And you look like a hypocrite, and maybe, you know what, that's what that religion is then. And then he said, if they come to church, sometimes people only have a mediocre experience. That is, and he went on to say that, you know, we get in our little holy huddles, we have our little groups that we're familiar <laughs> and talking with, and, and we don't reach out and we're not friendly to others and try to include them. Now, I think we're a pretty friendly church, but I know we can do better in that area too. So if you look at all of those things, maybe we'd say, yeah, maybe I am guilty of denying Christ, of, of not speaking about him when I could. The church is facing difficult times all over, not just us, every church in the country. But we can still reach people. We're doing it because we must reach people. God has given us a commission. We have what they need. It's the only thing that can save. And so when we find ourselves at a crossroad, when we see an opportunity, an open door, Let's ask the question, will I deny him or will I declare him? Now what should I say? How should I say it? Well, I looked at the scriptures, just looked up the word declare. 
and looked at the kind of commands or urgings that we are given to declare something about God. Here's what I found. In Psalm 71, Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. God wants us to declare his truth to the next generation. Now, we might say, well, you know what? I believe and I'm secure, so I'm okay. To the next generation. Okay, well, I've taught my kids, so I've done it. To the next generation. We aren't to stop. We have great opportunities for doing that with our church. Through our children's ministries, through our schools, we have the opportunities to present that word of God daily for hours on end to the kids. But it's not just those who are in our schools. We also have our Sunday school and our Easter for Kids coming up and our VBS and our summer camp and on and on. But it's not just for the school-age kids also. What about the millennials, those that are in their 20s and their 30s? We need to keep reaching out to them. And we have a Bible study that goes on midweek for them. But we also need to look for the opportunities to get them connected, to get them involved, so that they feel this is their church. That's how we minister to that generation. So, declare it to the next generation. Well, what should we declare? Isaiah tells us, Shout it aloud, don't hold it back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people, look what he says, their rebellion, and to the descendants of Jacob, their sins. Now sometimes we think, well, let's say nice stuff, right? Let's build people up, and that's all fine. But notice what Isaiah said. Let them know their real need, their sin, and their need to be right with God, their need for a Savior. Because you can tell them all sorts of other stuff about how to live their life or whatever, but it's only this that saves. The disciple Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And so the message that we proclaim, the Savior that we declare, is Jesus and that he is God. God who came into this world to live for us, to live obediently for us, so that we would have a righteousness that becomes ours through faith in him. And he is the king. He's the one who rules over everything and governs and blesses us. We've got to show them who Jesus is and then what he did. Paul says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We need to declare that Jesus died and rose so that we can be saved. A couple of years ago, I, I listened to a message on the internet from one of the megachurches in our city here. And it was his Easter message. And I wanted to uh, listen to him because the chiropractor I go to goes to that church. So I listened to it. And he went and he preached for 40 minutes. Now, aren't you glad I don't preach for 40 minutes? 
Nowhere in that sermon on Easter Sunday that he mentioned Jesus was raised from the dead. It was all about you can have a new life. Without Christ, there is no new life. We have to be clear. That is the life-saving message. And Paul talks about it. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. We've got a wonderful truth to proclaim. God's promise of resurrection and eternal life. If it's true what the Pew Research Society said, that people aren't coming to church because we're not inviting them, well then let's start inviting them. Pastor Chung and his outreach committee have designed a really colorful, neat mailer. Several thousand of these will be going out to the community over the next few weeks. But we have several hundred that you can take and you can send to a friend. Just make sure you put a postage stamp on it and address it and send it to somebody. Invite them to, to Good Friday, to hear why Jesus died, to Easter, to know Jesus lives, and we will live too. Peter must have learned his lesson from that crossroads event because he wrote these two things in his first letter. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What we should declare is God's working in our life. If people want to be more relational, if they want to hear, how does this affect you? What does it personally mean to you? Then let's tell them what it personally means that Jesus is my Savior. Tell how God has worked in your life. Yes, even in the troubles, even when a loved one is taken away from you, or even in other difficulties you face, you have something to talk about. Peter said, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, and to do this with gentleness and respect. We have a great hope because we have a great God. Let's be ready to declare him. Every day we stand at a crossroads. That is, we have opportunities to say something, to show what we believe. May God give us that spirit of boldness that will simply say, I will declare Jesus. Amen.